Welcome to today's episode of The Growth Zone. I am Christian Bartsch. What is the core benefit of listening to this show? Business leaders in corporate and privately held companies gain insights into trends and strategies that provide them with a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Each episode focuses on an area such as marketing, sales, innovation or funding that is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players, where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entry or knowing how to navigate the uncertainties of disruptive developments. Mindfeeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode, I have a special surprise gift. I am working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation and marketing. Let's get started on today's episode. So I'm today with Marceo Jordan and uh, the topic for today is the core elements of a growth and scaling strategy in 2021. Marceo, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so my history goes back uh, all the way into childhood. Uh, I started out as an entrepreneur, maybe eight or nine years old, um, making stuff for the neighbor ladies. They liked birds. And so I made uh, little bird feeders for them. And it was a recurring revenue business. Uh, so you know, maybe I've got the claim to fame as being one of the first there. Um, but being a kid, lost interest in uh, work very quickly. Uh, had a paper route with my first employee not too long after that. And I've just always had you know this entrepreneurial bent, which of course is uh, deep-seated in uh, you know, maybe some childhood trauma and some other things. Um, because you know, being an entrepreneur means you're a bit of a maverick, right? You're you're going going it alone, or at least by your own uh, wits and uh, skill and abilities. Um, joined the military very young. I was 17. My mother had to sign for me. She was a, a diehard uh, rebel. Came out of the civil rights movie movement in the 60s, so I was very much opposed to that. Um, wound up in the in the world of Wall Street, hedge fund trading, and then. From there, uh, electronic trading was one of the pioneers. And after that, it got roped into digital marketing. I uh, used a lot of the same techniques uh, for trading the markets and creating uh, different marketing strategies online. Uh, and then you know, it just kind of took off with the rest of e-commerce as the internet swept the globe. Yeah, so you've got, uh, got around quite well. <laughs> Um, looking at, at what we are going to talk about today, especially when I think of all the business expertise that you've gained over the years and uh, you know how to grow, scale, market and even sell your business, uh, no matter the size of it. Um, how do you think, actually, if I were to start a tech company in 2021, um, what would I have to be looking at, which, or let's point it, which core elements of my growth and scaling strategy would have to be um, and what would they have to look like? Well, first, the, you've got to decide what do you want this tech company to be? Uh, are you going to be the next unicorn? Uh, are you going to get venture capital, be a venture-backed company? 
Uh, or is this you know, something that you're planning on owning and, and running and growing yourself over the next 10 or, or 20 years? And I, I know that seems like a, a bit much to bite off, uh, but there are different considerations uh, for those, we'll call it two distinct paths. And so that is definitely the first step. Um, from there, of course, you know, it, it gets very similar, meaning companies grow and scale uh, almost identically, contrary to uh, what some of my, my peers in the, we'll call it the, the expert business growth uh, industry like to tell people. It really boils down to the trend. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I was a, a professional trader for 15 years. Um, it's If you go into music, movies, uh, business, it really doesn't matter. You find these underlying trends. So what is a trend? A trend is simply where you have focused attention from large groups of people. And so the, the next step after you've decided which direction you're going to go is going to be to really understand what trend you're taking advantage of. I'll give you an example. I just saw a company got around $3 million in funding and they're building an application on top of Zoom, right? So what that company is taking advantage of is the popularity and uh, we'll call it market penetration of Zoom. Uh, of course, that's something that can end very quickly. Um, case in point would be Amazon, right? So if you're a technology company and you want to build a tool for, say, Amazon sellers, um, you're really beholden not only to Amazon, but people who are selling on Amazon. So those, those considerations have got to be taken into account right at the beginning. And I've seen you know, statistics thrown around about what causes a business to fail. And I find more often it's that the entrepreneur either had no trend to take advantage of, meaning they had a great idea, but nobody wanted it, or they were looking at a trend that was just short-lived or, in other words, out of their control, like with Amazon or, or building a tool uh, on top of Zoom. So then the third step is going to be, you've got to sell it. And this is where uh, my brethren in the technology world, I, mean, I started programming on an Atari 800 when I was a, a young kid. So I've, pro I've been a programmer for a long time. Uh, I, don't, I don't talk about it, so keep that a secret. Um, you've, you've got to understand sales and, persu and persuasion. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated, but if you don't have skills you, or if you don't like people, you don't have people skills, either make the decision to get some of those skills or bring them on board. You know, it could be a co-founder or uh, an early employee. But mostly what I'm describing is you you need to understand what your customer wants. At the heart of every great company, if you really dig into it, um, there, one of the core pillars is going to be a dogged focus on the customer. Meaning, how are you solving their problem? How are you making their life better? Uh, how are you making something maybe transparent? Yes, yes, that makes sense because, of course, after you figure that out, then you, of course, have to see um, how can you get actually the clients or the or the buyers actually to buy in your product, order it, purchase it, whether it's you're doing pre-sales or you've already got the product produced and you're trying to sell it, whether it's a physical product or a SaaS solution, online solution that you just need to click and create an account online and you don't have to install anything, you don't have to ship anything. That's, of course, as well a different um, 
impact on the way your business might operate, side costs, and as well, time to delivery as well for the client who mm -hmm. then says, yes, I want to have the solution now. One of the things that you learn uh, pretty early on if you're going to be a successful trader is that you, you've got to be where everybody isn't, but where everybody will eventually want to be. <laughs> that maybe sounds like I didn't say a whole lot there, but um, one, one way to think about this uh, is when, when you're talking to customers and you're, uh, you're finding out what their daily life is like, what you're looking for are areas that, that aren't exploited, right? So if you, if you think back to Dropbox, when Dropbox was being built, there was quite a bit of, of uh, competition in, uh, you know, we'll call it the, the cloud. Uh, Jungle Disk was a, a product that my company used. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like cloud-based solutions for remote disk storage did not exist, right? They were actually pretty popular. But what Dropbox did was they made it easy. It, you know, they, they basically hacked the, the Mac OS, uh, which everybody thought was impossible. They were one of the first third-party companies to get in directly into the Finder. Um, and so on the surface, you might say, well, you know, there's only, what, three, maybe four, maybe at the most 8% of all computer users that use a Mac. Why would you go there first? And I would say, well, because you've got a rabid audience, Mac people are a, a bit of, you know, a, a kind of a population unto themselves. Uh, they're very loyal to the brand. And so that's an excellent place to start. And you know, so that that's also an aspect. If you're looking for an initial customer base, look for rabid customers, but really go far afield. I mean, realize that, Yes, Zoom is huge because there are so many people that need a solution on their desk. We're using a, a product called Zencaster right now. Um, you know, it, it's a beautiful solution in that it records audio on my side. It records audio on your side for so for podcasters. And I'm not affiliated with the company, so I don't. I'm not pitching them with that in mind. But it's a beautiful solution because now we don't have audio problems with me transmitting over the internet and either recording in the cloud or recording on your side. Look to things um, that need a solution, meaning they, they have a problem that's integral to their business. One of the most revolutionary that I remember was also one of the most simple was a, a company that, that brought uh, optical character recognition into the legal world because just like on TV, one of the ploys by lawyers is to bury you in paper. So they'll send you 10,000 pages of something because they know normally you'd have to get you know, 40 or 50 human beings to read all that stuff and digest it. Well, this company devised a solution so people could scan in and search the, the text that's actually on the page. They then branched out into doing that for FDA because when a, a company is producing an FDA approved um, drug, they might have two or 300,000 pages of text. And so those are the things to start looking for. Don't, you know, leave the the, the well-trodden paths, my friends, and go out. I mean, there's manufacturing, there's trucking companies, auto manufacturers. There are an endless supply of businesses that need technology, uh, which is why I love it. I mean, I'm a technologist at heart. Uh, technology is, is a force multiplier. It enables us to do so much. And so I have this great affinity for, for especially programmers that are toiling over their computers. And there's so many people out there uh, in wide industries that, that could use some help 
In fact, in the home health industry, which I'm active in, they're still using paper records going in between houses and nurses are carting these big boxes. And so despite what we may think, there are massive industries that that are still using paper today in, in 2020. So they're actually then as well using the very outdated uh, work styles. They don't have, uh, maybe they don't have cloud. They don't have most of, as you said, a lot of paperwork and using a lot of uh, inefficient ways of working and waste a lot of time. And of course, it takes time until from one end to the other end gets all information. And somebody says, okay, we have to record all this stuff because uh, let's say the customs or tax authorities or FDA and so on, they want to have some kind of uh, proper documentation that they can read, and especially now with the pandemic, um, they don't necessarily want to touch paper because they mm. fear that maybe they can contract some kind of illness or so, whatever, by touching the paper and shifting the paper back and forth. And if everybody isn't necessarily working in the office, that becomes even more of a problem because, of course, you get maybe the paper into the office uh, and then you have to try to go and get it to everybody's home, of course, which is then a problem. And uh, speaking of that, when when we have such a solution as you've been describing it, then how would you actually go and market this um, this solution to uh, actually make B two B customers uh, actually aware that this problem is there and it is going to solve the problem? Well, one way I shall go through several. Um, you know, again, this is. At the core of this, it's is reaching your customer. And if anybody has sold uh, into businesses, you know, it can be difficult um, because people are busy. So as you might imagine, my my main strategy is, well, then you go where other people aren't, right? So everybody sells B2B during the, the workday and they may use tools that are, you know, connected to LinkedIn. They may just cold call. Um, my favorite technique is to go to conferences. You learn so much just listening to people and, and uh, of course, asking questions. And so pick an industry conference and just go and hang out. Listen to what people are talking about. Listen to what the, the keynote speaker is talking about. Listen to what the breakout sessions uh, are teaching. And you'll gain all kinds of insight in order to sell, number one. Number two, you're actually going to meet some of your, your customers. Now, I'll go over a very tactical a uh, method I learned, uh, unfortunately, he, he's dead now. Uh, an associate of mine, Chet Holmes, taught this to me. And what you want to do is go go to an industry conference, um, preferably with someone, but let's say you, you don't know anybody. If it's a three-day conference, just go and relax. Go into the bar, meet people as you normally would, and talk to them about your solution and make sure to to tell them you know that you're there to learn and to you know figure out if if there's any possible customers there, uh, or if there's anybody that can help you to develop your idea. And what you're fishing for is an introduction from one person to the next, right? So we talk about networking. And I have to tell you, I'm not a fan of just networking in general. Uh, I'm very much purposeful when I network or go to an event. And so yes, you are networking, but don't get me wrong. This is not just collecting business cards or some far off, thing in the, or, or event in the distance uh, in, in time where you're going to get back together. You are there at the event and you want them to refer you to somebody that would fit as a customer. Now, I, my preference is to say, look, I'm just looking for somebody that I can help. We're still in development. It's going to be totally free. 
you know, I'll, I'll do all the work, uh, you know, to make sure that, that it gets done to their satisfaction or something like that. I mean, that's off the cuff and totally horrible, but hopefully that you get what I mean. Um, that alone is going to give you most of what you're going to need to not only sell, you know, version one customers, but really to understand what the trajectory is for your company. You know, in other words, are you going to uncover a problem that's going to be solved and it's gone in five minutes and nobody cares anymore? Or are you going to solve something that is ubiquitous, meaning it's everywhere in the industry? And even better, if you can uncover something that everybody you know, kind of talks about like it's a, a pain in the neck, but everybody thinks that there's no way to solve it, that's when you truly have an idea that you can go to venture capital with. And so ultimately, whether you're talking about selling a customer or selling a venture capitalist, it's always best to have them have an aha moment. Like, yes, that's what I've been looking for. And I know that that sounds trite and cliche. Really, it's more that that's very difficult to do. So don't be discouraged if you don't find something like that. But then also don't fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, you have the possibility of a $500 million or a, you know, 700 euro uh, turnover a, a year enterprise that, that's possible. And so backing up, how would I market it at the beginning? It's going to conferences, talking to people, discovering the problem. And really from there, once you have your, your sales pitch down, if you will, then it's a matter of, of testing it in the big, bad world. So you've got to find where your customers are. Are they on LinkedIn? Uh, can you reach them on Facebook? Can you reach them on Instagram? What digital platform can you go to? Because the digital platforms are relatively inexpensive, meaning you don't have to you know, spend 5 or 10 or, or $20 on a, a physical mailing and, and send it out to them. You can begin to speak to them in a, a low-cost way. And what you want to test are these learnings that you got from the conference. What are the people that you talk to saying is their problem? And then repeat it back to them, not in a problem way, but in a solution way. Uh, you know, so if if you have X problem, then you're going to want to Y solution, whether that's contact you via email or phone or something like that. That's that's really the, the very beginnings. Of course, you know, from there we've got to morph and pivot and and figure things out. But those those two stages I found are simply the most reliable. They're the most efficient. I'm not saying they're the only ones. Uh, they may not even be the best. But as a trader, what I learned is it's not necessarily about having the single best thing. It's about having something that's really more reliable over time. Business and trading are, are very similar in that, yeah, you, you can get lucky and pick a winner, right? So virtually anybody could go into the market, pick a stock or you know a futures contract or something and, and get lucky, right? It just they buy it and it, it goes up for forever, right? They make millions of dollars. And those stories make great, great headlines. But my, my point is, yes, but what of all the millions of other people that lost all of their money, just like in business? And so those, those two are, are very reliable in terms of getting uh, your early feedback. And then frankly, if you are going to talk to venture capitalists, they love to see founders that are out and talking to customers and selling because venture capitalists know that uh, that is a, a tried and true method to building a very successful company. Yes, yeah, so that gives them as well a good feeling that this the whole business is going to not only survive, but it's going to work and it's 
it's already uh, to a certain degree proven that it's obviously solving something and people actually want it because of course you can solve any kind of problem but if people are willing to spend the money or take the effort on that solution because maybe the effort that you have to put as a customer into it maybe outweighs um, the costs of the problem so it has to of course be all in a certain balance and um Looking at that, what pitfalls uh, should one be looking to avoid so that the business valuation doesn't stall or, or venture capitalists, for instance, if they want to invest or, or say, okay, let's, it's time now to put it on the stock market or whatever, um, get more funds and so on. And there are certain things that we see from many other startups and other businesses who have been having some mayhem, not only short sellers and other kind of issues, you, you see that creates havoc, of course. Yeah. And then suddenly the business valuation just drops and, and everybody starts thinking, Whew, I'm not going to put money in that because it'll be dead anyway within a year. It'll be just, it's just a scam or whatever. Well, that, that is a, a huge uh, story arc there. So let, let's start with uh, valuation in terms of uh, – raising money or, or rounds, right? So you've got your, your pre-seed stage is where you go into to friends and family. And you've got this great idea, but really, let's face it, they trust you and they're, they're betting on you as the entrepreneur. And then you go to seed stage. Maybe you're approaching some angel investors. I've got a project right now uh, where we're doing just that. Um, you're still talking to people that believe in, in you, but really they want to see that you have a team and they do want to see that uh, the idea is bigger than just one or two or, or 10 people, you know, maybe involved in, in a project. And so business valuation in those stages is very difficult. It's still based on the future. Um, you know, so in this particular company, uh, we valued it at $10 million. Right? In fact, one of our very first investors said, okay, well, where'd you get that number from? And, you know, a lot of it's going to be based on guesswork. But it's also based on what other companies are, are getting. So this is where Crunchbase or something like that can, can come in very handy, where you can look around and see what other companies are valuing themselves at, uh, both in the, the pre-seed stage or the seed stage and the, the later routes. And so after seed would be Series A, typically. Um, that's what they call your first official valuation, or it's called a priced route, Okay. That's where you've got a little bit more outside input. I'm, I'm being a bit facetious there. You've got audited books. You've got venture capitalists crawling all over your numbers, getting inside your company, probably hiring private investigators if the, the uh, ask is big enough. And they're really going to attempt to figure out, best as they can, what is your company valued on? After that point... As, an, as the entrepreneur or the founder, you really have your work cut out for you because you've not only got to, you, you have to continue speaking to venture capitalists, keeping the, if you're a new industry, keeping it at the forefront of everybody's mind, but you've got to be focused on the potential. And so let, let's talk a little bit about personality here. I tend to be uh, more of a, a realist, which can, can come across as being a pessimist if I'm not careful, right? So if I talk too much about problems or, or roadblocks, people tend to think that I'm a bit of a pessimist, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm actually optimistic. So my form of optimism is looking first to the problems or what can go wrong. Because once I've, I solve for those, then I know I've got a realistic shot at actually getting what I want. 
so you, you've got to keep the, you've got to keep that in mind. Some of your role is going to be to create the value by helping people understand what the potential is. Now let's fast forward all the way, you know, to public because it doesn't matter if you're talking about A, B, C, D, all, you know, how many rounds. Your your task is really still the same. You're still keeping people enthusiastic and optimistic about the future, not only of you but the companies that you're selling to, right? Because remember, if you're B2B, those companies have to continue in business in order to pay you. Uh, so you have to talk about how the customers you support are enjoying growth and uh, great prospects for the future, but also that your solution isn't going to be outdated or crushed by the competition. Now, let's, let's move on to the public market. That's a completely different animal. Unfortunately, you have uh, Yahoo's like like me in my earlier days, uh, you know, that are going to be fr- frankly manipulating the stock. Uh, that could be through short selling campaigns. Uh, could just be you know manipulating the stock if it's liquid and and they can uh, run a campaign against your your share price. You're going to see a lot of volatility. And so you know, this is where you can take a page out of uh, Amazon's book for one. You know, Jeff Be- Bezos was very much. Uh, a rare entrepreneur that he stayed as the CEO uh, as well as the founder, but he was very good at talking to investors. Remember, people are just people. It doesn't matter if they've got five hundred, you know, five hundred billion euros in their fund, five hundred million dollars in their fund. They're people. They're concerned about the future. They're concerned about their reputation. They want to be good at what they do. I Meaning, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients. So communicate with them. Let them know what your plans are within the the, the boundaries of the law. Of course, when, when you're public, you have a, quite a few constraints, but you still need to talk about the future and all of the principles that I talked about, being focused on, on your customers, continue going to events and talking to people. Don't forget that the, the pillars that I talk about aren't, aren't just a, a one-time kind of event. These are the things that all great companies are built on. Most people don't know it because they don't track you know, uh, popular CEOs. And I, I really apologize. I'm, I'm just not up on uh, European CEOs. I'm not very much up on, your, on, on American CEOs either. Um, but people like Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs when he was alive, most people don't know. They spent quite a bit of time traveling, going to conferences, not just conferences to speak, but conferences to talk to the other speakers uh, because those other speakers run the companies that they're going to be selling to. They they spend time on boards of other companies. They spend time in charities. Yes, a certain amount of, of the charitable work is because they are philanthropists, but there are quite a few connections that you can get. Um, and when you connect with people at a cause level, uh, you, you tend to have a, an easier and a better time selling them. So remember, when you're in business, it really is about people and understanding them and what their needs are. And at the end of the day, if you are someone that just doesn't enjoy that, uh, you know, forget all the, who cares about what personality profile people want to give you. Look, maybe, maybe you just don't like it. That's where you can look to, to get a co-founder. But if you, if you think of this, these things as being necessary in the beginning stages, it becomes more and more pivotal when you do get into the public market. And this is why companies hire you know, they call it the celebrity executive, right? That that's a, an expression that even in the public eye or, or publicly traded companies, there is still quite a bit of perception, right? So you, you want somebody that gives off that perception so that the public has confidence. 
And I would say, well, yes, you can do that. Or you could just go with the truth that is, you know, we think that this industry is going to be great in the future. We think it's growing uh, and, and we think that our company is going to be able to grow and expand with the future. Again, I know that's off the cuff, so I know it's horrible, but the, the main thing is to remember the pillars are the pillars. It's about the customer. It's about solving problems. And it's about talking to people about the future of your company and your industry in as positive and expansive way as possible. Yeah, so that's actually then, as you say, it's the key thing to uh, keep talking to the people, not only to those who are investing with you, your clients, your partners, and all the different people who are in some way uh, affected by your business activities or have influence or have to take certain decisions. And so they want to have, of course, a kind of feeling that uh, if they're deciding to do something that helps you or provides you money or opens the doors that you're not going to misuse their trust and not going to hurt them, hurt their reputation, hurt their good connections and, and other people who who trust on them at the same time. It's like a like an investor or somebody who's uh, made a lot of millions of the years and he's investing the money in your business and he tells his friends, you should invest in that company. And then If you fail on that and your business fakes and, and you do uh, bad stuff, then, of course, this person will feel very bad because, of course, the other people trusted on him and put the money on. Whether it doesn't matter whether they actually can afford to lose the money, but just you can't afford to lose that trust. And that's the costly thing of it. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, a, a few years ago, a, a friend of mine was looking for investment and and he said a, he, he said a phrase that, should never exit your mouth if you're if you're looking to take on investor money. And he said it's just five million dollars. So you never want to get to the point where you look at at your investors as a, a tool to further your goals. And you certainly never want to refer to their money as well, it's it's only or it's just um not to your friends, not not in private. If you find yourself thinking that, uh, I don't know, slap yourself across the face. It's literally that serious. Like this, think about, just think about it in terms of, of margin, right? So what does it take for somebody to, to have $5 million in the bank? Well, if you have a million dollar company and your, your net margin, like bottom line cash that gets into your pocket, is 10%, it's going to take you quite a while because you, you're, they too have a mortgage. They too have car payments. You know, they want to send their kids to college. And so it really, it comes down to respect and deference even. And I'm not saying grovel. I certainly don't grovel. Uh, well, I mean, I would in the right circumstance, but not generally. Um, but it, it's a, it's a, an utmost respect for what it took to get that kind of money in the bank for the, the project I'm working on, it's called lore.tv. Um, one of our investors uh, gave us the honor of $100,000. That's a massive amount of money to, to have in the bank and free to invest in something where there's a, a high degree of risk. It, it's akin to taking the $100,000 out into the street and being okay with setting it on fire. Uh, and I know that that seems crazy to people. And I'm not saying that, that that's you know what our, our investor is doing. 
but that's the the mental exercise that that I use as a trader uh, to think about risk. And if I wasn't satisfied, you know, if I, I couldn't take a hundred thousand dollars out into the street and burn it, then I wouldn't take that risk. You know, was it twenty thousand? Was it ten thousand? What you know, what was that number? Um, and so I've got a great degree of respect for my investors' money, and of course that translates into hard work. You know, I, I'll work a, a sixteen or an eighteen hour day. Um, which is, of course, is what investors want to see. But ultimately, it, it does come down to just respecting respecting their money and the sacrifice it took them to get it, and that they're bestowing, if you will, that that money on you. So just uh, treat it accordingly. Yes. Yeah, so it was really awesome to have you here, Marcelo, on our podcast. And um, if people want to connect with you, how can they get in contact with you? MaceoJordan.com uh, is the, the best way to do that. Uh, it's a very, you'll, you'll find it's a very simple site. Uh, sort of it, 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 contrary to my expertise in digital marketing, you know, I've, I found that, that simplicity works better. The bottom of the homepage uh, or the, the one other page, uh, you can just simply reach out to me. I prefer to work on projects with people. So if you have something that you want to solve, you know, let's have a conversation over email, phone, Zoom. Uh, let, let's solve something and, and do some great work together. Great. So looking forward to the next time when we connect again and talk about other topics relating to your business expertise and uh, what's going on in the industry. Yeah, great. Well, I'll, I'll do a tour before Laura goes public. I'll, you'll be one of the first, Christian. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Growth Zone with Christian Barge. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market. Simply visit the website follow prmediareach.com I will be adding the link also to the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. For those of you who are listening and signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a free copy of the Ultimate Guide on Content Marketing. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years. It also got me contacts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized entrepreneurs and enterprises as clients. And that even included international clients from all around the world. The link to sign up for our free broadcasting service and the guide is follow.prmediareach.com That will give you access to the most recent version of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me as well on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CAPBarge. 
Das spellt Charlie, Alpha, Papa, Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Sierra, Charlie, Hotel. Yes, that is C-A-P, Barge. Charlie, Alpha, Papa, Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Sierra, Charlie, Hotel. 